Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to a jam-packed edition of Corner Kick. I am joined by a man who did not referee a game in Vatican City this past weekend. It is Nick Govindan. Yes, I am not Chiro Immobile, although that looked like an incredible event. First of all, the game, for context, Chiro Immobile refereed this charity match between, I think it was like Lazio employees and... Uh, staff from the Vatican at the request of the Pope, which is just like an incredible thing for the Pope to request. And uh, Chiro Mobile definitely seemed to play a lot of advantage as the game finished 7-7 with the Mobile awarding three penalties. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I would definitely want like a mini documentary to be made about that for sure. It seemed like a blast. I sent you guys that thing about the uh, the Vatican like priest's cup for soccer yeah there's like a copa 90 piece right on it like mm-hmm. that was yeah exactly like they host like a, a tournament of champions amongst the of fathers like, yeah, yeah it's very funny but we're also joined by a man who was not handed his debut up top as a 17 year old in chavi's first game although he did score the same amount of goals as this man it is caleb rhodes yes i i love how every week it's always like Caleb not making an appearance in professional soccer just to like rub it in. <laughs> oh, that's because it's because I was just, you know, I was trying to find something vaguely Barcelona, no, no, adjacent, no. but it's hard to be, it's like by a man who did not, uh, you know, retire from football because of <laughs> like, like where am I supposed to go here really? But no, no, the, no, point yeah, is, the point is it's been a jam packed week. There's been a lot of stuff going on, but I think we've, we're going to talk about what has been, maybe the culmination of the biggest running theme of this podcast over the last two years. And that is crapping on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because it looks like we're not going to be able to do that for quite some time as after a humiliating, humiliating performance against Watford in which Emmanuel Denise scored once and assisted (laughs) twice. But I add, uh, I was going to say, not only not only did Emmanuel Denis once again rub it in the face of Caleb Rhodes, who predicted at the start of the season that I would, he would contribute no goals and no assists to this Watford team, he is the legitimate cause for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer <laughs> losing his job. Not the 5-0 at home to Liverpool, not horrible displays against Manchester City, uh, not losing at home to Aston Villa or any 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 other, you know, horrific thing that has gone on this season with Ole. No, it was the hand of God himself, Emmanuel Denis. You want to talk about biblical, Caleb? Denis really brought it to you this weekend. Yeah, and by the way, Denis now has four goals and five assists in oh, 11 God. games. So he's been basically a goal slot he's almost averaging one goal or assist per game but that is not the main focus the main focus is that ole has finally been given the sack although they sort of let him step down if you will um you know they let him put out a statement and control a lot of the pr around it but united after falling 4-1 to watford have a goal differential of minus one they sit tied for eighth right now with brighton and have lost five games on the season. And I think it is about time that, you know, we talked about that three-game ultimatum that he was given about seven games ago. 
uh, it was about time that uh, that he got given the sack. So they claim that after this, or it was reported, I don't know who the they is here. It was reported that after, you know, this game, Watford, who are what in the league? Pretty mid-table, low, lower end. 16th, I think. Yeah, they're not great, right? Other than Emmanuel Denis, which, I, you know, I, I, I'm contractually obligated to admit every week at this point. Um, it said that they had like a five-hour meeting over whether to sack Ole. And I'm like, at this point, there's just so much data like you've already had this meeting 16 times. I don't know why it didn't take about 30 minutes um, because clearly it was over for him. I mean, shambolic performance. I think it's a kind of cruel bit of poetry that Donnie Van de Beek scored the final goal of the Ole tenure. And now we're in a situation where who's going to take over this team? And also for the fifth consecutive season Ronaldo finds himself with a new manager now I don't want to do a correlation equals causation thing here but we have talked a lot about you know his role in the team how he meshes with you know leadership and things are not looking great at Old Trafford right now yeah I mean before I speak here I just want to say like for all intents and purposes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems like a stand-up individual like he seems like a great human being. However, a great football manager, he is not. And it's crazy to think that at the beginning of the season, he was awarded with a three-year contract. And not only him, Mike Phelan, his assistant as well, was awarded with a new deal. And the sacking of him following an international break where they could have let him go post the Liverpool game or post the City game and spent or allowed Michael Carrick some time to work with the team on his own or implemented an interim manager in that two-week period, as we saw plenty of other clubs in the Premier League go about doing, uh, is equally baffling. I agree with you, Caleb, that this whole sacking seems to be um, really spur of the moment from the United board, even though they had a lot of uh, results and data to pick from. I just think Ole was a three-year interim coach, which is crazy to think that United allowed this to happen. But that's because when he was appointed, you know, the mood, the morale around the club had totally bottomed out under Mourinho. And Ole, you know, for his credit and his man management is something that we've praised on this podcast, did, you know, sort of revive the spirit of the club in a lot of ways, you know, brought a lot of positivity back to the team. He integrated youth and uh, Mason Greenwood, you know, Marcus Rashford uh, produced his best seasons at the club under him. Uh, he was able to recruit a lot of big names because he consistently got the team in the Champions League, uh, Champions League finishes. However, the jump between um, him being able to do what should be really the bare minimum for Manchester United and him competing for trophies and winning important matches like we saw last season in Gdansk against Villarreal, which is too much. And this team has too much quality and too much investment has been spent in order for it to be laboring in sixth or seventh place in the Premier League with a negative one goal difference. And the most damning comments to me were from David De Gea after the Watford game, where he said, and I quote, that United didn't know what to do with the ball, end quote. That's insane. That's insane for a coaching staff with an elite player like Ole, an elite player like Michael Carrick. Like, and I, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of structural issues with United and a lot of structural issues with the board as well, who are now looking to appoint an interim manager after Carrick. 
and then appoint a permanent manager later. So you're looking at having three managers in the span of like a few months, maybe. And then also like they they've kept Ole's <laughs> like Ole's staff employed. So I'm unsure of like what's actually going to change going forward. Like Ole is gone, but his his team is still there. So nothing is really changing yeah. except for the, the figurehead at the top. So I and don't know. There, there's a lot of structural things wrong with this that have just kind of been, I think, splayed all over the place for the world to see, Nathan. Yeah. And when you look at the list of free agent managers right now and you sort them by points per match. Of managers with Premier League experience, here are the top five in terms of points per match. Number one, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with 1.81 points per match. Number two, Frank Lampard. Number three, Paul Bracewell, who hasn't managed since he was sacked by Sunderland back in 2017. Number four, Nuno Espirito Santo. And number five, Daniel Farca. When you switch that to La Liga, it is sort of equally uh, discouraging. So... But the point here is that the available managers right now on a free in terms of who could come in and, you know, take the reins in an interim sense, there are not a whole lot of guys out there. And I think obviously right now, um, you know, you look at the people who are, uh, I think the, the, the main candidates would be someone like Zidane or someone like Eric Ten Hag. You need someone with a certain amount of credibility after Ole you know, was plucked from Norway, right? But there really isn't that kind of market anymore after this past summer and even more so after Conte got hired. And then there's this talk about like they were turned off, the United board were turned off from Conte because his like, for lack of a better word, like authoritarianism and, and his combative nature resembled Mourinho too much. And then it's like, okay, if you don't want someone who is like an elite top coach who is like free thinking and uh, has a, you know, an elite pedigree and comes with an elite level of competitivity, like you are going to be left with, you know, paying out a huge amount of money to Leicester for Brendan Rodgers, right? Someone who is a good manager uh, can win important matches now, has progressed as a coach, but is nowhere near like the Klopp, Tuchel, Guardiola, echelon of managers and he would be coming to Manchester United as a former Liverpool coach I saw like the rumors about Pochettino were swirling I'm not entirely sure you know where he stands after you know it was pretty public that he wanted to rejoin Spurs in the summer uh, it doesn't seem like he's having a lot of success um, on the training pitch or at the board level and with PSG so I don't know Caleb I'm unsure what's going on here but it really is just a mess I mean it's a mess and I think what continues to surprise me is like the lack of a sense that I get from a lot of, you know, upper management at menu that they are in like a crisis at all. Right. Like, I think there's this weird sense that they're like, Oh, we spent like $200 million this summer. Like things can't possibly be that bad. And there's a bit, a bit of like a refusal to sort of admit what they see in front of their own eyes. I mean, it, it's probably best captured in, you know, that meme where it's like the house on fire and it's like that dog or something in the chair. And it's like, this is fine. <laughs> That's pretty much man you right now. Like even after they fired Ole, they're like, Oh no, this is fine. Like we can just put Carrick in who of course worked under Ole with, as you mentioned, Nick, the rest of the entire training team that's going to exist. Oh no, it's fine. We'll just appoint an interim manager. Oh, no, it's fine that we've waited six months too long and missed all of the, you know, 
free market managers that could have stepped in and watched our rivals like Tottenham take the managers that we wanted. Oh no, it's fine. Disaster, utter disaster. Um, well, I think it just goes back to what we were talking about when we were discussing the Super League, where the Glazers only think of United as kind of a commercial enterprise and not really as a football club. Like United's revenue off the pitch is like some of the highest it's ever been. So if that's the case and the Glazers are continually taking money from the club and putting it into their own pockets and like Old Trafford, like we discussed, is in sort of like a state of disrepair almost. So if that's the case and there's already neglect going on all over the club, it's it's somewhat, you know, it's shocking in that like we can see if like in the sense of like if we can see it, why can't, you know, Joel Glazer, but not shocking in the sense that if they are profiting off of it, results don't seem like something that they're particularly, you know, enamored by. Yeah. And by the way, United are uh, the club that actually gives the most back to their owners in the entire league, which shouldn't be a surprise when you see how they're run. Um, but they are far and away the club that uh, lets their owners profit off of them the most. But uh, do you guys have any predictions about who uh, takes over? Because I do, but I want to hear you guys go first. Steve Bruce. I want to talk this into existence. I joked about this yesterday on our text thread about like how I think Steve Bruce should come back and manage the team as an interim coach. And then I read in that athletic piece this morning that like he has interest in the job, but is like put feelers out. And that would just be like astounding to me because not only would like all the ex like United pundits have to throw their support behind Steve Bruce, like they did Ole because you know, that's how they operate. They all kind of like click together and defend each other. But also, like, United fans would have to deal with Steve Bruce being their manager for the better part of a season. But in all honesty, I think it is going to end up being Maurizio Pochettino. Interesting. You know, I, I kind of, I can see Pochettino, except I don't know why he would, like, fully abandon this PSG project before, you know, even one season of, like, Messi there. Like, I think you got to see it through, even if it, ends up being a bit of a disaster by the end. And like, you can put up with Leonardo for another, you know, six to eight months. Um, I actually do think I could definitely see Brendan after being kind of missing out on champions league, the past few seasons, probably feeling like, even though he's done a great job with Lester, he's still not quite getting the respect that, you know, Brendan loves to, to have. Um, obviously there's the issue of, he would now go from being a former Liverpool manager to managing Man U. But I do think the bright lights of, you know, an 80,000 person stadium could be a little too bright uh, for Brendan and his ego. And he, he will attempt to jump ship from Leicester to Man U. So that's my prediction as of now, Nathan. I think that they appoint some sort of stopgap and then they just throw a blank check at Eric Ten Hag this summer and convince him to leave then uh in an interview with the telegraph or a post-match interview with the telegraph ten hog was like i'm literally not leaving um <laughs> which makes sense when you see where Ajax are in terms of their the league and also the champions league but i definitely think that after basically winning everything that there is that he could win with Ajax and stewarding them to a champions league uh semi-final plus whatever they do this year uh, I think he could probably be tempted. I do think there's like an interesting history, I guess, with Dutch managers going to United. 
Um, but he'd also be reunited with Donny van de Beek. Uh, I think he's a, a very progressive and young coach, but who has experience in a way that Ole did not. And uh, I don't know. I think he would be a, a scary appointment for a team that basically has a very talented squad that doesn't know what to do with the ball. But uh, yeah, should we? Uh, Can they? The, my, my only question with that, Nathan, I think that's a good shout, is that can United afford to wait that long to appoint a permanent manager? Because the Champions League, you know, qualification is still uncertain, but by the time they get a new name in, it'll probably be all done and dusted. But they still like have to compete for a Champions League place this season and compete for trophies in the FA Cup and things like that. Like they, with the amount of money that they spent on this team, like they signed Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo plays for this team. And I don't know if you have like all of this set up, this like super powered squad ready to go. If you can afford to wait until the summer to appoint a manager, or if you have to, you know, like Chelsea got really lucky in that PSG sack Thomas Tuchel when they did, and they could appoint him. But I think United need to bring in someone with the pedigree as soon as possible in order to rectify the direction where this season is going. Shall we move on to the other marquee match, or really the, the marquee match of the weekend, a match that Nick and I watched intently. Uh, Nick, you know, you never told me, but I, in fact, lost a bet, and I therefore have to sing that's right. <laughs> if there's one that I know, I can sing it now. But if you want to give me a, like a homework assignment for a later date, I'd be glad yes. to sort of study up. We will um, have you sing a song on the next episode. Wait, can Fair you enough. sing the can you sing the Jurgen Klopp song? Like I want Jurgen to be my dad. Well, Jurgen <laughs> was certainly Mikel Arteta's dad on Saturday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, it was a game that had basically everything except for an Arsenal goal. Uh, Arsenal strolled into Anfield without making any changes and a very young and inexperienced Arsenal side ended up uh, performing the same as the older and more experienced Arsenal sides have at Anfield. 4-0 Liverpool. Uh, In the first minute of the game, I said, this feels like the kind of game where Takumi Minamino would come in and score in like the 80th minute. And lo and behold, Minamino was the one who capped things off. But all in all... And I, uh, I, I think that is the hardest Nathan has ever seen me laugh. It was actually... When Minamino well, scored. And so the, to contextualize this too, like Nick's stream was about eight seconds ahead of mine. So I knew that there had been a goal, but Nick wasn't even like cheering. He was just cracking up. Uh, so yeah, all in all, I mean, Arsenal played really poorly. Klopp and Arteta, you know, looked like they were at the square up, but... Nick, I'll let you have first cracks at this one. Yeah, I thought this was... I I was originally worried about this game. I'll be honest with you. More worried about this uh, match than I have, you know, previous Arsenal matches in recent years. I think Arsenal um, have improved quite a bit since August. However, I think the word that you used early on there, Nathan, really defined this game for Arsenal, and that's inexperience. I think the experience uh, championship medal of Liverpool really shined through in this game. And they put the pressure on Arsenal and Arsenal, uh, particularly like the more youthful players in the team, Nuno Tavares, um, outstandingly so, I think gave up the game here for Arsenal. I thought the front three of Liverpool were outstanding, you know, particularly in the absence of Roberto Firmino, Diogo Jota really needed to step up. And he did that immensely. He's gotten 
much, much, much better off the ball this season, Jota. He's really become, you know, a spearhead for the pressing system. And it's like not totally reliant on Sadio Mane or Salah starting the press from the front. And, you know, he contributed with a really, really clean finish, totally going around Aaron Ramsdale and putting the ball in the back of the net, capitalizing off of a Tavares mistake. I thought Trent, probably one of his more immaculate performances this season, two assists on the day. He is, you know, becoming the first name on the team sheet, you know, aside from Mo Salah and perhaps Fabinho. And Fabinho was another person who I thought had a tremendous game showing why he's like one of the best DMs in the league. But really, all of the credit for this Liverpool win needs to go to Mikel Arteta for starting a little row with Jurgen Klopp over a Sadio Mane challenge in the air, I think against Tomoyasu, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, Arteta has a little war of words, a little like trying to shove his assistance away to get to Klopp. And then Klopp fires up the crowd. And five minutes after that, Sadio Mane puts the ball in the back of the net. And I think it uh, that like epitomizes Liverpool to a T almost that they are they are this team that uh, have this exceptional relationship with their fans at home and can feed off of that and can feed off the energy. And it only enhances you know, their performance. And this is a world-class, you know, they are in third right now, just dropped a game to West Ham. But I think in this performance, they showed that they are still going to be competing on all fronts this season. Yeah, I mean, this was a scary performance, I would say, from Liverpool. And probably, what you have to say, a bit of a missed opportunity for Arsenal. I mean, Liverpool pretty shorthanded beyond the starting 11. I mean, they had to start Chimikas today. His least favorite player, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, was forced <laughs> to be given minutes again. I want to um, say, I want to say, hold on. I, I, I totally missed talking about it. He was, he was amazing. He was excellent against Arsenal. And I think the fact that he's finally getting a run of games now, not injured, knock on wood, and particularly looked like, I think, Caleb, a long time ago, you said you wanted to see the dynamic midfield of Fabinho, Ox, and Thiago. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. wow, like did those three look completely in sync playing together? They had a perfect balance. Uh, Thiago and Ox had a really shockingly great connection in the middle of the park. And, you know, particularly since Henderson is working his way back from injury and we yet to see, you know, where Harvey Elliott is at and Nabi Keita. I think this is a Liverpool have kind of stumbled on a really dynamic midfield here. Yeah, but you know, you look beyond beyond the starting eleven. Pretty much, you have Henderson and Minamino being the only you know real options in sort of midfield and offense off the bench. Otherwise, you kind of have the new version of Crosby, Still, Nash, and Young with Bradley, Beck, Morton, and Gordon. Um, <laughs> people were making fun <laughs> of <laughs> people were making fun of Morton, who is nineteen for looking about twelve. I mean. I know Arsenal are what the youngest team in Europe, but Liverpool you know, on another day might have been forced to really, really, you know, reach into the bottoms of their bench to try to keep this game together. But all in all, I mean, Liverpool's class showed out. Yeah. And Arsenal played pretty well for about 35 minutes, maybe. Um, but some inexperience, I think, really showed through. And at the end of the day, um, someone, I think, I forget who tweeted this. Maybe Tim Stillman, but I'd rather have you know Nuno Tavares or Sambi Lakonga making the kind of errors that they made than like Granit Xhaka or Willian. You know, like I, I, as much as I think the youth didn't play very well, 
Um, I would still rather, you know, commit to this tactic and sort of learn from it than to have uh, things be going differently. So at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's very hard to win at Anfield. Uh, and Arsenal didn't really do themselves any favors, but now have a slightly easier run of things going up against Newcastle and United in the next two weeks. Um, so I'm not too concerned with that. But uh, Nick, is there anything else that you want to add before saying adieu? Yes, I do have to say adieu, unfortunately. What I will say is that, like kind of building off of what you said, Nathan, in no way do I think this is like a damning result for the Arteta project at Arsenal. Liverpool, like anyone that were that was facing Liverpool on Saturday, we're going to be facing an angry Liverpool and a Liverpool coming off of a loss, like looking to rebound. And Arsenal, you know, unfortunately were the recipients of that 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 beatdown. And I think, like you said, in the first 30 minutes, I was really impressed with the organization of Arsenal, the way that they kind of made Liverpool play around them. They couldn't really play through the midfield. But then, like, once, you know, Liverpool, like I said, are a really experienced team. Like, they're kind of one of the older starting 11s in the Premier League. So they were able to kind of figure it out and start planting the traps off the ball for Arsenal to give the give up possession uh, in their own half. But I think, you know, Arteta just needs to stay the course. I think he's he's come up with something um, structurally sound with this 4-4-2 and having a really compact system to start off games with that I think works really well. And another man I want to I want to I want to credit is Aaron Ramsdale, who I need to make a public apology to because we laughed about his transfer to Arsenal, but he is becoming one of my favorite players to watch this season, which says a lot about a goalkeeper. Uh, I think he's such an old school keeper. He's got so much personality. Clearly has already adopted a leadership role at Arsenal. And some of the saves that he made, like even though he allowed four goals, some of the saves that he made in this game to keep it close in the first half were absolutely unbelievable. So I think, you know, Arsenal have a real player for the future core of their team. In, uh, in Aaron Ramsdale. But with that, I will bid you guys adieu. I will bid the corner kick fam adieu. And yeah, I mean, I hope you guys have a good rest of the pod. Yeah, I think Nick, first of all, have a great rest of your evening. But yeah, Ramsdale has been fantastic. I was sort of curious when he was brought in if he would end up as a backup or not. But ever since winning the starting job, he has prevented the uh, the second most XG above expected behind any everyone but... Uh, Mendy of Chelsea. Uh, so he has been really, really good for Arsenal. He produced what I'm realizing now, I think, is probably the best save that I've seen from an Arsenal keeper ever in my lifetime. Like maybe mm-hmm. up there with David Seaman and the FA Cup, which I didn't see live because I was one year old. Um, but his sort of incredible double save back then. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, he's been great. And, you know, onward and upward for Arsenal. Around the Prem, you know, Spurs left it late, but Conte ended up with his first, with his first win um, at Spurs. All the new managers won, so uh, Villa beat Brighton two nil. Uh, Newcastle without Eddie Howe were held to a draw by Brentford, but uh, and Norwich picked up a win uh, at at long seconds last. on the bounce. Second on the seat, yeah, two wins in a row now, <laughs> meaning Newcastle oh, are in tough. last are in last place in the league now. By the way. Yeah, can you imagine a world where, you know, just a few weeks after talking about how Norwich are that bad, somehow Newcastle are worse? Um, It would be hilarious if Newcastle end up going down and Norwich somehow stay up. Like if Newcastle leads 
and like Southampton go down, it would be like the most no Newcastle leads and Burnley going down would be like my like dream. Um, but Caleb, there was another debut this weekend for a yes. manager, and that would be Yield Chavi taking the reins and uh I you know getting to face a crosstown rival in Espanol and getting to three points is big. But uh, I'm not sure if we can expect too, too many structural changes, uh, you know, from this first game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this was this was a, a statement win by any means. Um, I also don't think he had, you know, his full squad available. But it was important, I think, to get that one nil victory in a derby game. I think it would have been especially demoralizing um, to lose to... Espanol in his first match in charge and honestly I don't know if you watched or how much of the game you watched but in the last like 15 minutes um, when Nico went off injured um, and Coutinho had to get moved um, to center midfield and Puig was basically playing the pivot it was all Espanol and we got so 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 lucky Raul de Tomas had who is an incredibly underrated player, first of all, and I'm glad he got a Spain cap. He barely missed um, with a free kick. He hit the post. Espanyol missed a free header. Honestly, we probably should have lost 2-1 by the end of the game, but we held on with the Depay penalty. It was honestly exciting to see, you know, eight La Masia players in the starting 11, the entire back four, um, Nico and Busquets in midfield, and then, Gavi on the left wing, which must be like the fifth position he's played this year. And then the debut for highly rated youngster, um, Ilias Akomek, um, you know, forced in a little bit because of injuries to Fati and Dembele. But I'm, I'm pleased. I think the energy of the team is much better. Um, it's slightly ironic that sort of the player um, that was trashing Komen most in the press for sort of ruining the vibes of the team was Mengeza, who was far and away, not only the worst player in Barcelona, but probably the worst player on the pitch um, in the game. Every single time he was pressured, he gave the ball away in dangerous positions. I, for one, cannot wait for the return of Dest and in January, Danny Alves to the side. But job done in his first game and we'll kind of see how things go in the champions league uh this week in an important match against benfica yeah i mean benfica obviously took barcelona to town last time they faced off and uh if if barcelona lose to benfica they would find themselves uh you know in the relic not in the relegation zone excuse me in the europa league mm -hmm. category mm -hmm. with the last game coming up against bayern rather than dynamo kiev so barcelona basically need to win this game yeah to make it to the next stage because a draw yeah. and you know i'm assuming that bayern who have uh, conceded two goals and scored 17 in the champions league are going to you know again beat them like four no yeah uh, i think that's that's safe to say <laughs> yeah so so barcelona basically just need they need a win against benfica you know i don't i mean i would imagine coutinho is going to start this game uh, and maybe maybe you, they'll put in Sergio Roberto right back just because of how bad Mingueza is. And, like, again, it's yeah. not like Mingueza has ever been good. It's just there have been times when he has been less bad. I think he's not the worst center back out there, especially in that weird back three. I didn't think he was the yeah. worst. But uh, as a right back, 
who yeah. is not very good at defending, but also like really bad going forward. It's like <laughs> the worst of both worlds. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I would be shocked if he gets in the team. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be big. There are some other interesting matchups in the Champions League this week, though. United and Villarreal is gonna be really interesting because mm. why should we expect United? I mean, United and Villarreal tied at the top of their group with yeah. Atalanta right behind them. It feels like a must win for United, but do we think that they're going to benefit from the sort of new manager bounce without actually having a new manager? I don't know. I mean, they've been hanging on by the skin of their teeth in the Champions League so far. And right, like they only are top of the table because Ronaldo has pulled out last minute goals against Villarreal and Atalanta and then Villarreal again, or then Atalanta again. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but I think they're clearly the third best team in this group. Um, and hopefully, you know, man, you will remain demoralized <laughs> tomorrow because I would like to see Villarreal win. But yeah, no, there definitely are some interesting games this week. Chelsea play Juventus. Juventus, of course, kind of got a unheralded uh, victory uh, over the reigning champions last time uh, they played. And then on Wednesday, we have Man City versus PSG. And then FC Sheriff versus Real Madrid. The rematch this time away for Real Madrid. So they will be playing at Sheriff Stadium. It'll be a good week, I think, leading up to Thanksgiving. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I also would definitely encourage anyone who hasn't already to read Grant Wall's piece on FC Sheriff because he actually traveled to Transnistria Ugh. and got to detail everything. It was, I, first of all, I thought it was a really good piece. And Grant, you know, has basically been, you know, at the forefront of American soccer coverage for a really long time. But uh, it was so interesting to see how this team just exists and also is able to get away with doing literally whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, yeah. But definitely some good reading there. And as of right now, unless... Sheriff lose both of their last two games and Shakhtar uh, win both of their last two games. Sheriff will go through to the Europa League, uh, you know, round of 32. So uh, good for them. We also have City PSG um, yep. in a battle of uh, teams with different form right now. PSG. Uh, <laughs> did you see Kaylor Navas's red card this last weekend? No, no, I didn't. I just saw Messi's goal, his first goal in Ligue 1 this year. Yes, it so. was. Uh, well, Navas had a, a, a FIFA esque red card where he just came charging out of the box and, uh, you know, stuck a knee out and, uh, and tripped Ludovic Blas uh, or Blas. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's B L A S. But uh, point is, it was very funny. And then, of course, after going down a man, they scored two goals and ended up taking the lead and winning because mm. they're PSG. Yes. But yeah, obviously the inverse fixture PSG beat City 2-0, um, but I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if things go the other way this time around. Uh, yeah. Maybe we should do our our quick, you know, Ligue 1 Serie A whip around and then wrap yeah. up the show. Well, um, Serie A for sure. Yes. Well, first of all, I just think it's so funny that you know, I feel like we've been talking about how much turmoil and tension and stuff has been going on at PSG this year. And I looked at the table today and 
they're still, they're already 11 points clear. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like, why do we even, we shouldn't even report on them because like it doesn't matter um, at least domestically, but yes, moving on to Syria, I think there were several good games this weekend. Obviously, first of all, Fiorentina with the shock 4-3 victory over AC Milan um, on Saturday. And then on Sunday, more big matches. Inter with a massive 3-2 win over Napoli, um, who are currently topping the table. Um, So a huge first versus third match there. And then the fun story, I would say, of the weekend is uh, Roma beating Genoa 2-0 with two goals from 18-year-old Afena Gian, um, who, before the game, Mourinho promised he would buy him these, like, $800 Balenciaga shoes if he scored. He scored two great goals, including a rocket, and today the video came out of Mourinho buying the shoes for the youngster is this good Mourinho is is he a happier man now in in Rome I mean it's it's only one result right but it was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty endearing video it was yeah. also interesting that Afenagian who is a very highly thought of wonder kid especially yeah. amongst uh, especially in the Ghana camp was mm-hmm. the one brought on over you know someone like Carlos Perez or yeah. a now fit Nico Zaniolo um, mm. Or Borja Mayoral, all players who I would say are considerably more experienced. Uh, yeah. But Mourinho sort of clutching at straws a bit ended up pulling one out of the bag. And also, I didn't realize that Andrei Shevchenko manages Genoa, uh, which is yes, fun. he was he was just appointed, right? Um, and uh, and yes. Goran Pondev, who I think played probably played against Shevchenko a bunch of times, he's somehow thirty eight years old. By the way, yes. he's been like banging about for a really long time. But uh, yeah, I didn't realize that he was still, you know, alive and fit and leaving the lines as well as uh, Juventus legend Stefano Storaro, who is like that. You know, every year I feel like Juve have like the sixth yes. midfielder. Like it mm-hmm. was uh, it was Verone who they brought in for half uh, a year and then loaned yeah. back out. Um, there's always like one, you know, or like Giovinco before that. Uh, but yeah. Um, in Ligue 1, I didn't, you know, the, the violence continues, right? <laughs> the violence continues. I mean, it's so true. Uh, you, I mean, here, you, you describe it and then we can discuss it. I so. mean, another match was postponed after Dimitri Payet was hit in the head with debris from the stands. Uh, we sort of, we talked a little bit about it in the group chat, but like at some point France needs to step in, like whether it's the government or like our, or the RFF, someone needs to step in and be like, look, like we actually can't have you throwing crap at players uh, because within the first two minutes of the game, uh, you know, it was abandoned. Uh, and yeah, if you're a French football fan, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you throwing crap at Piat? Like, I just, I don't get it, man. And it was, it was also obviously Marseille-Lyon, which is a, a rivalry game, but it seems like every week, there's violence in France. And like, I guess if they're not striking, they're viol- they're, they're, they're rioting. Or, or better yet, why not both, right? right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like this follows up several instances in the past few years. There was the crazy pictures from earlier this season, I think in PSG Marseille, um, at Marseille, where 
police using riot shields had to create like an iron dome around uh, Neymar in order to protect him from bottles being thrown at him while he tried to take a free kick. I mean, I think what has to happen pretty much is the, you know, the, the French football federation has to say that if you can't control your crowds from like attacking players, then no matter whose fault it is really, the game's going to be, um, you know, suspended and you're going to forfeit whoever the home team is. doesn't matter who the fan is, but like, if you can't control the people in your stadium, then like that's on you. Um, and you should have to give up the win. Yeah. Obviously that creates some bad incentives perhaps. Cause then you could imagine an yeah, away the, the fan, false flag, the false who, flag. Yeah, operation. exactly. Like Christ crisis actors or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but I I, I think OM like was a liberal hoax. <laughs> I, I, I yeah exactly. Um, it was the yeah what, whatever the yeah, yellow vests. Um, yeah of, exactly. Of but whatever you know you know what I mean. I know uh, what you mean. But like at some point punishments need to start being levied against teams. Yeah, and, um, and, but also this happened for a while because do you remember when Everton were in the Europa League and I forget whether it was Marseille or Lyon, but they were playing away and I'm, I swear. They got into a fist fight with someone in the crowd after scoring a goal. Do you remember this, or am I am I, am I fabricating things here? Let because me let me do a quick Google. I I mean, let's see. Everton. It was Leon. Everton. They fought Leon. Uh, Ashley. Oh Williams. yeah, Everton Leon fight. It it, it like auto fills. Yeah, um, exactly. So it was definitely real. It was three years ago. The last time Everton were you know remotely serious about soccer. It was an Everton fan though. To be fair. It wasn't right. a Frenchman. Yeah. But it still happened. Uh, in France. Uh, uh, no, it happened at Liverpool. It happened in England. Saw, it happened, yeah, it happened in Merseyside, and the fan got banned for life. But, but it involved the, is, the French. The point is, it involved the French, <laughs> and that is close enough uh, to make my, my point feel bad. It's, and it's too bad that Nick wasn't here for this discussion, because we know how, uh, how fun it is to sort of rag on Europe uh, every now and then. But yeah, yeah. Well, is the there French, else? the French, like, uh, I mean, the French. I mean, you've seen the video. Uh, gonna, you've yeah. seen the video of French firefighters self-immolating in protest with French cops, right? No. Okay, what well, I'm now I'm gonna have to send another video to you. But oh, it's truly fantastic stuff. Like the French, you know, going all the way back to Robespierre and before, have never been afraid for uh, of a uh, a good riot uh, or uh, you know. <laughs> creating some chaos for, for no particular reason. Um, but fortunately this time it was, there were no guillotines. It was just, you know, throwing stuff from the crowd. And at the end of the day, it only hurts their teams. Um, so they yeah. have to get it under control and fast because it's pretty, it, I think the phrase that you used uh, was, you know, it's, it's reminiscent of like a sixth through 15th tier league. Like if you had seen that video and have been like, yeah, it's from the Croatian league when like, or like, yeah, it's from like the second league in Russia where like, you know, the Chechen Republic or something like you would be like, oh, that right. sort of makes a little sense. But, yeah. you know, France are sort of trying to be taken seriously. And uh, that is very unserious behavior. No, right. I mean, it just, it, it, it hurts the image of the league. It, it makes it hard for the league to, to grow. Like there's a reason like the Turkish league or the Russian league beyond, you know, those just being, I think, like less desirable places to watch the sport. But it's fan behavior is is poor and unseemly, and it doesn't play well. Um, and so, 
for their own sake, I implore French soccer fans to, you know, get their act together and perhaps, you know, just put the beer down or get another beer. Do, do any of those things, but don't throw it at Dimitri Payet, who has represented your nation and I'm sure you've cheered for before. Yes. Don't throw it at his head. Please. Yes. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. By the time we come to you next week, it will likely, likely be after we take on Foxborough and watch ah, the New England Revolution yes. eat the crap out of a team okay. whose home pitch are a baseball field uh, in NYCFC. <laughs> Who I but to be fair, Tati Castellanos is a very good player, and I, maybe we maybe we do like a bizarre niche like micro preview pod of this game. Um, yes. The point being, we will see you next time. Some big matches in the Champions League, some uh, less big matches in the league this coming weekend. Uh, but we'll follow it all, and we will uh, catch you on the flip side. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>